Welcome to Strange Familiars. I'm fine. <laughs> Good. Glad to hear. So tonight we're going to be taking a trip back in time. All the way back to the year 2000? <laughs> I'm not going to do the Conan thing. <laughs> Although I want to. Yeah. That was one of my favorite bits on Conan. Going to 1809. That's a little bit further back. Mm-hmm. That's just before you were born, right? It is before I was born. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell the story of Susanna Cox. Before we get to the mournful history of Susanna Cox, I'd like to thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you so much for your help. Thank you for your support. We couldn't do Strange Familiars without you. We say it every week because it's true. Strange Familiars is brought to you by our patrons. And without you, it doesn't happen. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to make Strange Familiars and get extra content besides, you can become a patron at Patreon, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. All of our patrons get commercial-free versions of the weekly shows, plus bonus episodes every month, at least one. Often we do more than one. Again, it's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you're on Apple Podcast, there's a subscription program there as well called Patrons of the Strange. If you sign up for that subscription, you get the weekly episodes without commercials as well, and you get the bonus episodes. So check us out there, or again, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Thanks once again, patrons. So, Tim, this is not the first Susanna Cox that has been on the show. It's not. No. <laughs> Refresh my memory. Susanna Cox was the name of the mother of the two little boys that went missing in the story about the lost children of the Alleghenies. Wow. Did you remember this? No, when I, was, just... when I was looking up things about Susanna Cox, that came up and I was like, wait, this story sounds familiar. Like, oh, yeah, we already. So it gets better with the synchronicities. Oh, okay. Do we get into them now or as we go along? Well, just to, like just as a little heads up of where this is taking place. This is taking place within 15 minutes of our story. This was quite a few years ago, but it's still my absolute favorite thing we've ever done, which is a story about a little girl named Jenny Beam who disappeared and was apparently murdered in the expanded area around Reading, Pennsylvania. Dryville. Dryville, yes, yeah, specifically. And that was a series of shows called The Broken Circle. It's still my favorite thing we, that we've ever done. 
intensely researched, amazing, and the story that broke me for true crime, really. Yeah, we, we've done a few others, but like I said, we like them to be so far in the past. Like, that was a little too close. Like, that was happened in the 20s, right? Mm-hmm. To me, that was way too close. There were still people, relatives of hers, that were still alive, including at the time that we did it, her youngest sister was still alive. We got contacted. Now, I don't know if we ever talked about this on the show, but some of her relatives contacted us somewhat recently and said, why did you do this? Yeah, and they had some questions about it, and we exchanged a few emails, and then I think it was just a little bit too much. Yeah. It's still too much of a hurt. So um, while I would still love to talk to her family about it, I absolutely understand why you would not want to do that. Mm-hmm. I think in this case, the reason why like I'm okay with doing it is because she becomes like this kind of folk figure. She really does. And she's... Um, I've read in several articles that the most well-known woman in all of Berks County, Pennsylvania, Hmm. historically speaking. Historically, yeah, interesting. Because everyone knows the story in Berks County. Well, we know it now. Yeah, and we know it because we were trying to come up with something um, for the Curiosity of the Week, and I was like, oh, I have this thing. It's like a morning song about a girl, and and I was like, let me just look up and see what the story is. And then, like, always what happens is, like, well, I can't sell this now. Now I want to keep it. Yeah, it's... <laughs> and I told her, and, and the whole story progresses. She became so famous that... Did you say recently they dis, they decided to stop doing this? I believe re- recent, like, in the past few years, they stopped reenacting the hanging. Yeah, so the, the quick story is that this girl was the... She was the last publicly executed woman in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. This is also not the first female execution story we've done either. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of crossover, but we don't we don't go down this this route too often, but I think because she became a folk figure, I feel like I can rationalize yeah, talking yeah. about it. And it is incredibly, you know, we're talking over 200 years ago. And when I say it ruined me for true crime, I'm not saying we're never going to do a true crime episode, but it changed and I believe I can speak for both of us. Mm-hmm. It changed our approach. And it changed our general understanding of what true crime is and what it can be in, in the good and bad sense. Yeah, and I think the the problem for me is that um, there is an impersonal aspect to a lot of true crime mm-hmm. that doesn't respect families. And I don't ever want to do that to anybody. I don't want to ever at hurt onto hurt. So Yeah, the, I mean, yeah, I yeah. know the exact moment it, ha- it it was when I was standing on Jenny Beam's grave and I looked down and I just I remember just thinking this is horrible. This is horrible. Yeah, it's not like a story like from a movie or something. This really happened to yeah. a tiny little kid. Yeah. We are going just for the sake of uh, full disclosure that we are going to touch on some similar subjects. So if you're going through like any kind of issues with infertility, miscarriage, problems with i'm i'm suggesting as a personal favor for me don't listen to this just listen yeah, to the next show yeah, like, yeah trigger this, warning to yeah, the extreme here yeah this this deals with the death of a infant so so what this ballad is it, and we're trying to figure out if this is the original broadside or at least the original broadside in english because the original broadside was published i think in in, in german in yeah german. this is certainly a broadside now is it a reproduction or is it one of the originals, we don't know. It's hard to tell. It was found with an article from the February 1864 issue of a Reading newspaper. So it was probably published on the anniversary of the uh, incident. Mm-hmm. 
But this isn't the same size as the newspaper. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah, it like, was just tucked in it, there. This was so. folded up. You can tell it was somebody yeah. folded this up for. And I found um, well, there was a book written a few years ago, which is very thorough and, and where I got a lot of research from. But I also did some of my own, and it doesn't describe quite as many broadside reproductions as I found in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. So she's one of those people that over succeeding generations has had sort of a whispering down the lane effect of her yeah. story and it gets morphed into other people's stories and but and there is seems does seem to be enduring interest in the story. And I looked up the actual ballad being performed by some folk singers and they are singing lyrics that, that are not lyrics from this broadside. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're their own lyrics or if there's another version. There very well could be multiple versions. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because it reminds me of like um, – Almost like in a biblical sense, because there are people who wrote about it years after it happened at a time when they never even witnessed what happened. Like some of the broadsides that Mm -hmm. were revised happened long after the time of people who would have witnessed it originally. So hoping this is one of the original broadsides, don't know. The title is A New Mournful Song Containing the History of Susanna Cox, Who Was Hung in Reading for Infanticide in the Year 1809. They keep saying hung. It's, It's hanged. Mm-hmm. But that's why it's print, it's printed hung there. <laughs> yeah. So I just want people to know that I know the correct way to say it is hang. You could put like a little <clears throat> SIC in parentheses there if you want. <laughs> From the German, it also says. Mm-hmm. So I think the way we're going to do this show is I'm going to read a verse or two from the broadside. And then you're going to sort of comment on it and add additional information as we go along. Yeah, I, what I really like about this, and I know we've talked about murder ballads before, but it really falls into, it has every single trope of a murder ballad, but it just happens to be true. Yeah. Now, there are a few true murder ballads. Yeah, my favorite, Omi Wise, is a true murder ballad. Yes. Tom Dooley, or Tom Dula, it was the original name. Take notice now, you people all, and hear what will be said about a very gloomy case of a deluded maid. She served as a maid in Oli Long with one named Jacob Gare. Her name was Miss Susanna Cox. I heard it mentioned there. Okay, so that's kind of right. Kind of right. Okay. <laughs> well, let's get to the historical truth. So her family's surname is actually uh, written as Gax, G-A-X, but was probably anglicized to Cox. Hmm. Interesting. Her parents were Jost, which is like a, a form of like Justin, mm-hmm. Jost Gax and Catherine Heller. And they were married in 1784, just after the revolution. <laughs> this is how early this is happening. Right. So she was not an immigrant, at least. She was born she was on born American in, soil. On American soil. And she, in fact, she was baptized at the Schwarzwald Reformed Church, which is like, means black forest. So if you weren't guessing that they were German previously. <laughs> as most everyone in Berks County was. Yeah, as most everyone in Berks County was. She absolutely was German and spoke German, which will become key to some of the elements later on, especially during her trial. And uh, says so she served as a maid with Jacob Gare. Is that accurate? That is true. Sometimes his name has two E's in it, but it was probably Gare, like G-E-H. It's G-E-H-R or G-E-H-R, but probably Gare either way. Mm-hmm. And 
from that, I would assume that maybe she, when she was like 15 or 16, she went to work for someone, but no, it was even earlier. She was indentured at the age of eight. Wow. I mean, I know. Okay. <laughs> so I know slavery was still legal at this time, so I shouldn't be so shocked, right? Yeah, indentured servitude was rampant. Yeah, but eight years old, you know, it's just, it's not fair. It's just not fair. No. And let's thank all the labor organizations that helped eliminate child labor laws and gave mm-hmm. us weekends. <laughs> right. Yeah. So do we know anything else about her life before she became a servant? I mean, there wasn't much. It was only eight years. No. Um. She, she served for six years within Jacob Gare's wife's family and then five years with him. Okay. His wife was sick and his mother-in-law lived with them. That also could potentially play into what was happening at the household. No education she received. She knew but what she saw. The will of God she did not know nor aught about his law. So they uh, mentioned quite a lot about how not only was she uneducated, like when after she was arrested, she did not know how to read or write and just signed an X for her name. Other people were talking for her. And apparently she had not had a lot of experience going to church and that it was only in her final days that she had some personal time with some members of the clergy who saved her, apparently. You think about if you were, first of all, depending on where she was and what farm she was on, et cetera, education might not have been a priority anyway. But for an eight-year-old indentured servant, I'm thinking there's... Very few opportunities for education, anyway. Oh, yeah. To most people, it is known how the world it goes. They who the scriptures do not know will do just what they choose. Okay, so there's a little bit of blame placing on the fact that she did not know what morality was, and so that's how she found herself in her her unfortunate position. That's my interpretation. Sure, yeah, Yeah. I think that's a fair interpretation. Her neighbor, who was known to us whose name was Mertz, withal, seduced her with his fleshly lust and brought her to her fall. So that's a presumption. The only thing definitively that she says is that the father of the child is a married man. Mm. She hints that it's a neighbor. That may or may not be true. In some official record, the initials are written down as P.M., and the neighbor in the vicinity whose name emerges is a Peter Mertz. Okay. He may or may not be the father. There's also quite a likelihood that the man she worked for was the actual father. Mm-hmm. We'll never know. I could talk about the long arc of inequity between women and men here. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we'll just go on to the other tragic part of the story. You know, this is at a time where you could probably, you know, defame anyone in a broadside and there wouldn't be libel. There wouldn't be libel. So we do not know if Mertz was a was a lusty fellow, as they're implying here. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say who the father could have been. Twas similar in Adam's time. The Bible teaches us when the old serpent, loving crime, did Mother Eve seduce. Basically, the same thing. <laughs> Through her seduction entered death. The world when it began, so went it with Susanna Cox by this deceptive man. The law he held in disrespect and scorned to keep his hand from what the scriptures do forbid in that heptade command. A married man, he her seduced and brought her in distress. 
he may repent if not refused at some time after death. So, as you said, she said it was a married man. She made that much clear who got her pregnant. By the way, she's not eight when this is happening. No, she's 24 when, yeah. the, when all this is happening. So had this matter not revealed, so much ashamed was she, she thought no person would take note of her delivery. In 1800 and ninth year, in February, 14th day, at early morn, at half past four, her child was born, they say. So she gets impregnated mm-hmm. by someone, a married man, mm-hmm. according to her. So is that the accurate day of the birth of the child? Yes, she gave birth in the early hours of Valentine's Day, 1809. 1809. By herself, in a stone washroom where she lived. Can you imagine how horrible that is, to give birth by yourself in February in 1809? (laughs) Yeah, not like the houses were heated or anything. And it would have been dark, too. Yeah. You would have been in the total dark, in absolute pain, with no one to help you. Wow, yeah. And knowing, I'm sure everyone was well aware of how likely it was to die during childbirth. Mm-hmm. And to have that in the back of your mind and have to do that all by yourself. As this poor sinner, viciously deceived had been, you see, she did her newborn child remove to long eternity. That's a sort of nice way of saying uh, she killed her child. Which might not be true as well. From the court records and from the doctor who quote-unquote examined her, it was not conclusive, and she, to the end, said that the baby was born stillborn. Hmm. Varying reports say that it might not have been, quote, entirely formed, as in um, it might have been premature. Huh. There's also some evidence that the physical abnormalities consistent with, with, with what they perceived to be a murder could have been the birth itself, could have been the way the, the baby had, I mean, it was February, mm-hmm. so the remains of the baby would have been frozen, mm-hmm. or the manner in which it was removed, placed back again, and then removed from its hiding spot could have accounted for any of these injuries. So the, they do not get into where the child was hid or how or anything uh, in in this, she gives birth on Valentine's Day. They testify. Her, the people that she works for testify that she wasn't feeling good that day or the next day. But by the next day, she was up and working in the house. What you do? Yeah, and I guess she didn't have much choice in the matter. So, it's February, so she has no ability to bury the body. It was frozen. Mm-hmm. The water near the house was frozen, which means you can't set it off. Like, who's the the big figure in history? It was Moses? Put, yeah, Moses. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but there's another one. Like, isn't there like a, a matching one in some like Greek or probably? Let's say Moses. <laughs> we couldn't set the baby off in the water anywhere, but she also, to her credit, did not leave it out in the elements to be exposed to the potential for animals or something else to to damage the body, Mm -hmm. which it does imply a certain amount of affection in that she didn't really know what to do. So she just wrapped the baby in a coat and put it in, um, it was sort of like a hole at the bottom of a closet in the area that she lived. Mm. 
So from what I can tell, she lived in sort of an outbuilding. Okay. And it was used for a multitude of things. People went in and out of her rooms. I think in the article, did they call it a food cave? Yeah, well, they might have just put food underground to keep it cold. Okay. So it was a cave-like part that was kind of at the bottom of a closet. That's where the baby was put after she gave birth. It also had, they keep referring to it as a toe or a towel. I don't know, a piece of cloth. That might be the part that comes off of a, a cord. Like um, she put something in the baby's mouth. And that there's also a, a wealth of possibilities of why she could have done that. From A, just trying to smother the baby from crying and to ultimately kill it. Or um, it could have been because something had happened to the baby. They said if there was some kind of injury sustained during birth and the baby was bleeding and was bleeding out of the mouth, she might have put the cloth in there uh, to, to try, the, to, stop to, try the to stop the bleeding. They said that it's entirely possible, too, that she could have given birth and been so out of it that by the time she came to, the baby had died. Mm-hmm. There's a million things that could have happened. Right. She insists her innocence. They'll, they'll talk later about a confession. She doesn't confess guilt. She just confesses that it was on paper that was her baby and this is what happened, not hmm. that she killed the baby. She always sustains her innocence. As soon as the discoverers saw the murder had been dealt, she was arrested by the law and asked to own her guilt. So who discovered it? The man she worked for. Now, this is an odd story. Apparently, he was looking for like a little piece of iron, which he knew that people would throw down in that hole, but it wasn't a place that anybody visited, really, with a lot of regularity. And two days later, he just happens to be out there looking for stuff in this hole and pulls it out, doesn't know what to do, and so he he tells his mother-in-law about it, and she goes and confronts Susanna, who admits that it's her baby, that it was her baby. The fact that they claim that they did not know that she was pregnant is a bit... (laughs) It's It's possible, but very unlikely. It's a bit of a leap, Mm -hmm. considering there were times within her pregnancy where she was complaining of an ailment that she had been complaining of four years previous. Meaning she was pregnant four years previous to this? Yeah. How was that dealt with? The doctor brought a special medicine, which he had actually brought for this pregnancy as well, but she only took a little of it. Hmm. She said that uh, he gave her something to cure her bowel obstruction that she had. He asked her if there might be something else more going on, and she said no. And her mother-in-law vouched for her that she knows everywhere she goes and everyone she sees. There's no way that she could possibly be pregnant. <laughs> this is at a time where you could put your hand on someone's stomach and feel it kick, and if they say... Nope, wasn't me. <laughs> All right. That must uh, be the scientific so, uh, answer. Jacob Gare's mother-in-law. Yes. Okay, so not her mother-in-law. Yeah, exactly. She was not married. She was not married. So the mother-in-law goes to the police or they summon? They, they summon someone to, a, uh, someone to come. They bring along some doctors. I'm guessing they the doctors are the first ones to suggest murder or? Yep. Yeah, if only because they can't definitively say one way or another whether the baby was born alive or dead. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And but they don't really rally on her behalf either. <laughs> like right. they yeah. don't. Really, they really could have engineered it to see that she was an innocent mm-hmm. party to what was happening to her. 
A jury was soon summoned then, who did investigate this helpless sinner's case and name her sentence of her fate. She pled before the jurors there for mercy she did pray, but still they found her guilty sore of murder first degree. So it sounds like we're skipping a lot of uh, pre-trial and trial there and getting right to the to the verdict. Well, it happened really quickly. Did it really? Yeah, so she gives birth on February 14th. By the 17th, she's taken off to jail. Now, can you imagine you're three days recovered from having a baby, mm. and you get on probably, I don't know, horseback maybe? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Mm. I mean, that right there would have been punishment enough, right? Right. Or maybe they made her walk. Yeah, who knows? She was taken to live at the jail. At the time, it was not segregated by level of offense or by gender. So you're three days postpartum recovering by yourself in the dark in the jail in 1809. (laughs) Wow. With dudes around. Oh, yeah. With Mm. the same men who got you into this situation. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. <laughs> Don't be resentful. <laughs> I'm mad for her. No, I get that. I absolutely do get that. So how long then is she in prison before the trial? Well, they make much in these articles about talking about how she became sort of, because she was this young woman, she became a favorite of the jailer and she got to sit at his table at night and took care, did the same duties she did at the other house as a domestic taking care of children. The book implies that that is probably not the case whatsoever mm. she might have been asked to do things but this idea that she was you know, treated as an equal and sat at the jailer's table is probably yeah some hopeful fiction yeah and how long is she held before the the trial starts the trial starts in april and ends in april four hours later with a verdict wow yeah she pled before the jury's there for mercy she did pray but still they found her guilty sore of murder first degree They led her into the courthouse then, before Judge Spade, quite near where she, her dreadful sentence, death, with weeping, had to hear. So part of the problem is at this point in time, certain people are afforded translators in Pennsylvania and certain people are not. Do you think a 24-year-old unwed mother who speaks only German and is is on an ongoing indenture do you think she was afforded the opportunity to have a translator for her trial? No, but I'm actually surprised at this time in and around Reading, the trial wasn't in German anyway. Yeah, that actually surprised me because I think the majority of people would have spoken German, mm-hmm. if not as their only language, certainly their preferred one. Yeah, I wonder if it's a matter of, like, you know, they say that, you know, as a country, we sort of inherited English law. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, because we did that, if English became sort of the language of the court then. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Because in any other respect, in legal documents, it would have been German. On cemetery stones, it's German. Mm -hmm. Like, on birth certificates, German. Yeah, yeah. Church records are German. Yeah. Especially, I'm imagining, at the Schwarzwald (laughs) (laughs) Reformed Church. I'm guessing those were in German. Yeah. Um, So, it was in English, and 
She who could neither read nor write could not even understand the language of the people, nor was she allowed to testify, nor was any of the other female members of the family allowed to testify. They did basically what we consider now to be hearsay mm-hmm. in court. That was just the rule of the law, especially you just like if you need if a woman needed to speak, somebody could just speak for her mm. by proxy. Not someone, a man. <laughs> right. Yeah. A man could speak for her. And so uh, he tells the story not only from his position, but also from his mother-in-law's position. Don't worry, I'll speak for you. <laughs> I'll tell your story real good. <laughs> oh, you're going to do my ballad? <laughs> so they very quickly come to... Did you say four hours? Yes. It's a, if Here's, once again, all of the issues we have today have been... Part of our historical record, unfortunately, the entire time. So oh, yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. I mean. Yeah. So this poor girl, her, the jury of her peers, not a woman, not anyone, on, certainly in her economic bracket, but a bunch of wealthy men who know, I would say, less than nothing about medical issues mm-hmm. and probably even less than that about female medical issues mm-hmm. are the ones to decide her fate. Now, even at this time, even the concealment of a dead body like this would be a capital offense. Mm. They had expanded capital offenses by this time. So they're trying to determine not only... Primarily. Primarily if she murdered the child, Mm -hmm. but she's already guilty of hiding the body, essentially. But I think she's only guilty of that if the baby was already dead or wasn't dead. Mm -hmm. So they still have to prove that she's... Mm -hmm. The verdict comes back. Yeah, and the uh, the judge that then is forced, because she's convicted of this crime, then this particular sentencing has to go on. He resigns a month later. He out of. So he's sort of required to give the, yeah. the death penalty. Yeah, because it was a capital. She was found guilty, I guess, of a capital of it. And he does. He does. Yeah, he do, he reluctantly. Does it? And then I guess there's always the hope for a pardon, but it didn't come. Mm. You may imagine for yourself how sorrowful she felt to wait her execution, death, her blood was to be spilt. The death warrant was written soon for this poor maid alone and taken to the governor out in Lancaster town. Was the governor in Lancaster at that time? Or did he happen to be in Lancaster? Lancaster was the capital at the time. Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. I did not know this. I, I had no Pennsylvania history Growing up in Maryland. <laughs> I imagine so, nor did I have any Nebraska history or any... Uh, the only Pennsylvania history we got was the uh, the Great War fought over the border. And we were told how we owned the land. Oh, and that mean, mean Pennsylvania took it. it. Took it from us. And did they talk about those horrible traitors, Mason and Dixon? <laughs> so there's no such thing really as an appeal at this time. and But people write on her behalf. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are active in trying to, to help get her an appeal, but she does not She does not get one. How soon are these broadsides coming out? Like, it, I know they were essentially news back in the day. A lot of people yeah. got their news from broadsides. I think they came out pretty quickly. Like they, they, might have, they probably had stuff prepared to sell the day of the execution. I'm sure they did by then. I wonder if it happened even before then. Yeah, because the first thing that's produced is like con- a quote-unquote confession. She, again, doesn't confess her guilt at all, but there's mm-hmm. a broadside that contains her quote-unquote confession. It's in German. There's a picture of it in some of the books and small sort of half size. None of those are known, I guess, besides that 
that one to exist. A man who was compassionate, she hastily sent before and to the governor of state, who pled and sued for her. But he, for her, no pardon found. Alas, she must be hung. Again, their words, not mine. Already on the 10th of June, to show the world, t'was wrong. June the 10th? Mm-hmm. That is when they planned her execution, between the hours of 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. The death warrant was soon returned, and then to her was read, To God she prayed most fervently for grace till she was dead. She was in her repentance by the clergy taught redress, for she repented candidly and did her sins confess. Not she, publicly, though, right? You said she never did a public... She... Uh, no, she was, She didn't speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they said a little prayer for her that she engaged in, but she didn't say... She didn't have, a, like, a big moralizing... Speech. Oh, you mean at her execution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what you're referring to? It? No, I just meant, like... She as never as, admitted guilt, no. Yeah. No, they kept saying her confession, and people were led to believe that, mm-hmm. as if she was repentant right before it. It's usually in an article that talks about her finding God at the same time as, you know... She confessed all her sins and then found God. From prison she was taken out about 11 o'clock unto the execution place. It caused a moral shock. Did it, though? Was it a moral shock? Well, that's what I'm asking because... 20,000 people showed up. Yeah, that's not much of a... I mean, I guess you could say it's a moral shock, but it seems more like a picnic, you know... Like a com- festival. Com- community, yeah, a fair or something. Like the Woodstock of executions. And... We have come across old photos of hangings where you see people into the horizon that showed up Mm -hmm. to see these things. And imagine what a moneymaker that is for the town. They were talking about people came and spent the night at hotels. They drank in the bars before the event and after the event. Wow. It's like a sporting event. Yeah. Like a Roman. Not much going on back then, I guess. No, and and the fact that they would put it in the papers early enough so people could, you know, plan their vacations around it. Honey, we're going to Reading Town. (laughs) There's going to be a hanging. She cautioned all mankind around, the young especially, and said, Take an example now by my ill fate today. She didn't do anything like that. That's a good moralizing aspect to it, so you can tell everybody all the horrible things you've done, how they're going to have the same fate. She knelt upon the earth in prayer and asked the Lord alone that he would her sins forgive, whichever she had done. Her weeping was so sorrowful as on her knees she lay. Her teardrops fell upon the earth. They wept for her that day. She said, I go to eternity. Now instantly, O God, take me into thy kingdom. See, reject me, sinner or not. All that's uh, for the broadside for the ballad. Apparently she did... One of her only visitors was a member of the clergy, so I imagine that might have something to do with her spending a lot of time with him and then ultimately becoming religious in, the, in her, in her mm-hmm. final hours, days. But she didn't, like you say, make this grand proclamation from the gallows. No. No. The, you want to hear a tragic detail? Sure. So the women in the town were so taken with her story that they knew that she'd need a dress for the execution day. And so they made her a dress, and it was like light-colored with black, wide black mourning bands on it. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. It was the first new dress she'd ever had in her life. It was like, oh, like... Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. 
She's executed afterward, a lamentable deed, and after 17 minutes' time, her parting soul had fled. Now, I read a little, just a very little bit about this, because often when we do these historical shows, sometimes it's both of us doing research, but often one one or the other of us will do the main research, and then we'll kind of get together and kind of work out the show mm-hmm. from, from the research. So you did the bulk of the research on this. I just read a very little bit about it, like right before we started to record. And that 17-minute detail is accurate, right? Mm-hmm. She was either not heavy enough. Which is probably the case. They said she was so small they made her stand on her coffin so she could be high enough for her. For the rope to. For the rope to go around. Go around her. So she was probably not heavy enough to snap her neck when she dropped. Mm -hmm. Which is the, I, I don't know if you can call a hanging ever merciful, but you want your neck to break when you drop. That's what you want if you're being hanged. Mm -hmm. You don't want to hang there. That's misery. That's torture. That's absolute brutality. 17 minutes. That's an eternity hanging Mm -hmm. there. That's cruel and unusual. I mean, not that hangings aren't anyway, but that's especially cruel and unusual. That's brutal. That's human brutality. And 20,000 people watched her struggle for 17 minutes. And I believe you told me it was the, the executioner who finally... Helped her with, like... Yeah, pulled on her. Just, they said that she was, he was going to arrange her shoes and tugged enough to... Break her neck break and finally end it, probably. It's just horrible. And you said this this executioner was kind of run out of town afterwards. Yeah, the people chased him. They said they chased him and beat him up till the his silver coins fell out of his pockets and he ran away and was never seen again in Reading. Now I understand that even though this is treated as a you know public event, people brought their families to see this. Why you would do that, I don't know. Different time. The executioner was always kind of hated. Yeah. This is always kind of – that's why they wore hoods in the old days. You know? Yeah, you didn't want to be identified. Yeah. I mean, who who would? Yeah. And after she was dead, in vain, the doctors tried their skill to bring her back to life again, but all too late and ill. No. <laughs> they did not try to bring her back. They didn't try to bring her back. That wasn't the goal of doctors being there. The, the goal for doctors being there was to prove someone was dead after an execution. And he who did this song compose and earnestly did dictate, did all this misery behold, was near the judgment seat. You people all on earth give ear, take this example here, when people are so ignorant how they at last may fare. So they're blaming... They're blaming her fate on her lack of education, religious or otherwise there, it sounds like. Yeah, probably religious, but, Mm -hmm. well, that's the only reason it could happen. She did not live in pleasure long, ere she was in the snare. She brought her whole life's journey on to four and twenty years. So ends the ballad. It's interesting, though, because it says, as he who did this song compose and earnestly did dictate, did all this misery behold, was near the judgment seat. And you have an article of someone who was there, right? I do. Do you want to know another fun fact that we actually hadn't discussed about who might have been the original broadside writer? No. Uh, Homan. That makes a lot of sense, actually. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, John Homan wrote The Long Lost Friend. Pennsylvania powwow book 
if you go back to episode 100, we talk a lot about powwow. And I think we probably talk about home in, in episode 100, I think. Yeah, as well. probably. And also probably in episode one. A little bit. A little bit in episode one, yeah. It's but, been a spell, though. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Homan would have been the guy who wrote or documented, at least, you know, the, the Long Lost Friend, the book of, of local uh, folk magic. And, and, uh, and because cures. he was from Reading, yeah. it makes sense that... Yeah, he printed other stuff. It really could have been him. Yeah. The only thing that they said it works against that possibility is that he was so vain, he always had his name on everything. Hmm. And so if his name wasn't on it, they think that he probably didn't do it. Hmm. But still, doesn't mean it's not possible. Yeah, a lot of people. Well, there's a lot of anti-Homan <laughs> sentiment that I believe ha- has a number of factors behind it, not, not the least of which is that he was Catholic. Didn't stop Protestants from using it. No, it didn't. So uh, this is an article from 1875. So while that sounds ancient, it's still nigh on 70 years after the event. Yeah, it's all, yeah, all but. And this is called The Only Woman Hung in Berks County, an unpublished account of local history, an eyewitness account of the hanging of Susanna Cox. So this is an elderly man who had witnessed this. Was this published in like the Reading Eagle or something? The Reading Times, yep. There are but few of the thousands beside myself yet living who were eyewitness to that mournful event, the execution of Susanna Cox, which took place at Reading, Berks County, on Saturday, June 10, 1809. My father, Daniel Pyle, then resided on his farm in Douglas Township, 14 miles from Reading, and I heard him previously tell some of the neighbors of his intention to drive up to Reading on that day with his team and take some of his children along to see what might prove a lifelong remembrance to them. I guess so. The morning came, the sun rose bright, my father, myself, three sisters, two of whom were older, and I, and some of the neighbors took our prepared seats in the covered wagon. Adam Levengood, our tenant, drove the team, and among our company was an aged woman, Mrs. Hurtline, who said she served her time with General Joseph Heister, under whom her first husband fought and was killed in the Revolutionary War. We proceeded along the road and arrived at Reading, where the fairground is now. My father, who was extensively known and who had been present at several previous executions, got out of the wagon, walked ahead, and designated the spot for the teamster to halt, which was nearly in front of the gallows and about 50 yards therefrom. It was about 10 or half past 10 o'clock a.m. Now, my dear reader, mark what transpired here during the next coming hour. The gallows was erected, made of bright sawed scantling of about five inches square, and 11 feet high and sufficiently wide for a wagon to pass through. Presently, the guard arrived and formed a circle of about 80 yards in diameter around the gallows. Next, the bells were tolling as an announcement of their coming. People from all direction of both sexes came crowding in until the hill became densely lined with spectators. It was now said she was coming, dressed in snow white, conducted by two ministers, but I could not see her on account of the tumultuous crowd." when suddenly I observed the cart inside the ring with her coffin being driven up under the gallows by the executioner, and about three perches behind the cart, she in her white dress, having a broad black ribbon around her waist, and a minister on each side of her dressed in black, 
were slowly stepping along, having the dreadful object, the gallows and the cart with her coffin, and in which she must shortly lie a corpse in view right in front of her. Here, gentle reader, a sensation passed through me, the like of which you better imagine that I can describe. The executioner, or hangman as he commonly is called, opened the coffin, took a bottle out, raised it to his lips in the reflecting sun, and took a heavy draught therefrom. The ministers performed their devotions, sung a very suitable hymn, which is found in our German Lutheran and in the German Reformed hymn books. She was calm and submissive to her fate. The gallows was so high that they had to put the coffin crosswise on the cart, and she was then lifted onto the cart by two men, from there lifted her up and stood her on the coffin. Here, while others were procuring something more to stand on to reach to the top of the gallows and fasten the rope, she stood pensive and alone on her coffin, under the gallows, undoubtedly supported by an almighty hand, or as having heard a seraphic whisper saying, Fear not, I am with thee. Be not dismayed, I am thy God. Now all arrangements being made, the executioner on one side and the sheriff or some other one on the other took the horse by the reins and drove him forward. She was drawn from her coffin with a jar that fairly made the gallows quiver when her weight became suspended on the rope, and she twirled and swung to and fro. Mrs. Hartline explained, Almighty God in heaven, it's the German for Almighty God in heaven. Presently her hands, which had kept erect, suddenly dropped, retaining her white handkerchief in them, and the executioner, who was not the sheriff but some other man, then grasped her feet, raised them a little, and then gave her a little jolt, for which, as I am told, got a severe beating the next day by some citizens of Reading. Her head lay on her shoulder, I think, on the right, while the rope was suspended on the opposite side, and her black slippers were down over her heels, but being tied over the instep were prevented from falling off. After being thus suspended in the air for about fifteen minutes, and having been the object of thousands of her fellow mortals, who gazed upon her, I trust, with aching hearts and streaming eyes, the cart was then backed under, and her lifeless body taken down, placed in the coffin, and taken away. I was then eleven years old, and consequently am now seventy-seven, and although sixty-six years have intervened, yet it seems as fresh in my mind as if it had happened only a week ago, and seems to make a deeper impression on my mind now than it did then. I know nothing about the parentage of this unfortunate lady, but from general information I know that she served her time with a wealthy and respectable farmer in this county, and on her arrival at mature age she was unhappily misled and in consequence committed infanticide for which she was tried, convicted, and sentenced to die. What induced her to commit the inhuman act I know not. Neither do I know whether any effort was made to procure her a pardon from the governor, but I hope she is pardoned by him who is ready and willing to pardon all, who call on him in truth and sincerity. Now, my readers, you who can read in German, I refer you to that said hymn, which I have committed to memory and which is applicable to all. Her calmness and serenity in her last moments fully accord with the last verse of that hymn. I know not how she was cared for, or how she was treated during her short life, but probably some of it may be found in the record of her trial. Her newborn and life-destroyed infant was found in a blacksmith shop on the premises where she resided, seven miles distant from my father's house, and as I was then young and lived at a distance from her, I could acquire no more definite account of her more than what I have stated. On the 10th of June... I was at Pottstown waiting at the depot for the train in the afternoon when I happened to mention that this is the day of the month in which Susanna Cox was executed and related something of what I have seen thereof. Said one in the room mentioning my name, Is it right? said I. It is the law. Yes, but is it right? I answered. I think she might have been pardoned. Eyewitness news. <laughs> yeah. From 1809. 
Well, from much later. But, 1875. Yeah, but so. he was there in 1875. Yeah. This is still known, and it's still talked about, at least sort of folklorically, in Pennsylvania. It was the last woman at least publicly executed in Pennsylvania. Yeah. It became such a part of the the folklore that they would reenact this hanging at the folk festival. Yeah, it's a little odd, isn't it? I think it really upset people uh, after a while. I don't think they do it anymore, but they did it until... Within the last five or six years. I think so, yeah. They reenacted this. You can find people uh, performing the... The ballad from the folk festival, um, but they they would set up like a whole gallows, yeah, and reenact the whole thing, yeah. Has a wicker man kind of quality kind to of, it, kind of does. I mean, Reading is kind of like summer album. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, poor Susanna Cox. Yeah, I mean, she she started like besides the broadsides that were published. Then there's I found notices of broadsides that were republished in the 1870s. Then a a new dirge was made in 1881. I saw a 1904 ad where it's being st- uh, sold and reprinted by, uh, there's a name, man named Herb who had a store downtown and uh, in York, mm-hmm. and he's selling it. In 1935, the Pennsylvania German Society um, starts singing the song, so it enters into like sort of the historic song record at mm-hmm. that point. In 1955, the folk festival starts to sing her ballad, and um, in 1963, oddly, right about the time of the Kennedy's assassination, they decide that's when they're going to start doing the full gallows recreation. Let's, let's reenact the hanging. <laughs> and then for years, it's time to get the gallows out. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, it, it is, I don't know. It, I mean, it is, it is history, right? Like, it's not happy history. It's not pleasant history, but... So yeah. much of history is not. Yeah, that's true. On the other hand, I think like we, we've realized how uh, damaging for the human psyche it is to have public executions. Mm-hmm. For now, I mean, I don't know what the next twenty years are going to yeah. hold. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that is the mournful history of Susanna Cox, all from a broadside ballad we just happened to find around. I love that we could really almost play like uh, strange familiars. Bingo on it. You know, mm-hmm. you've got like the long lost friend, mm-hmm. Holman's in this one. There's like four other stories related to it yeah. in this area. And I mean, who, what's in the ley lines up there in Red, Redding? I don't, I don't know. know. We don't spend enough time up there, though. I know. It's, it's a cool area. Yeah. I'd love to drive, though. I, I, I mean, it's like, it's, there's also a relation to like Daniel Boone is up. Like, there's like, there are a lot of odd things in Redding. Mm-hmm. There's another story I want to cover about Redding. It's a little more recent. We'll save it. Okay. We'll get to it another time. <laughs> this is an oddly appropriate, I guess. Um, strangely appropriate. I don't know. I don't know how to... It feels like it relates. It's on theme. It, yeah, it feels like it's on theme. Um. This is not a, this week, it's not a photo, it's a uh, a medical model. This is a medical model. Tim, would you like to explain what it is? I think you should explain what it is. Okay, it's uh, 
sort of a pinkish orange double-sided piece of resin or plastic. It's a model of the female anatomy. It is a model of the female anatomy. And it comes with its own IUD. In place. In place, yeah. It's a medical model, so students would know to some degree how to place it. Oh, is it or is it did it come from the drug company like Oh yeah, maybe it's just from the drug like, company. Yeah. Hey, this is I this think is it's from the our, drug company. Yeah, this is one of our things. You can And this is a, how it will look in a in a vagina that is not under plastic mm-hmm. and is more than it's four inches <laughs> for the whole thing. Yeah. So uh, anyway, it's a medical model. Yeah, it's a medical model of um of a uterus. Of a uterus with a with an IUD in it. With an IUD, yes. Which is probably one of the actual IUDs, right? It is, yeah, it is the actual IUD. Yeah. Don't use it. Yeah. We're also going to talk, um, yeah, as we referenced before, the long arc of history that has not worked in favor of women. Mm-hmm. This contains a, an IUD which actually was found to be harmful, so... As many are, right? Like Well, at the time, yeah, I don't want to speak from, uh, medically now, but there were quite a few mm-hmm. that led to infertility and other mm-hmm. horrific problems. So this is a... It's a vintage. Yeah, yeah. It's just, what year? You, you, is there a year on it? There isn't. I'm thinking 70s. 70s or 80s, maybe. Yeah. CU7, seral, intrauterine com- copper contraceptive. Mm-hmm. That's what it says on the plastic. Mm-hmm. There's a backside too. Yes, you could you could fill it with. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you could put your weed in there. <laughs> you could, in fact, put your weed in there. Uh, for your cabinet of curiosities, right? Yes, for for a cabinet of curiosities, or if you have the um, feminism themed cabinet. Yeah, our, uh, if you have a uh, if you like medical things, medical stuff. If you want to spare, if I break an emergency break glass. <laughs> <laughs> it is certainly a curiosity. It is. Oh. I think that's also an important part of history. The- yeah. Yeah. Where did you come upon? Because there's more than one of these in this house. Where did you come upon these? These were spotted by my eagle-eyed friend at the auction. And she will dig and find the coolest that I will not put my hands in. <laughs> <laughs> and she found them, and she said that they were something that suited me. There also includes, like, intact, unused, original Dalcon shields, which were the had the huge lawsuit against mm-hmm. the company that made the Dalcon Like it shield. came with in the same lot? Yeah, the- yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, don't eat. Don't, this, this, don't actually. <laughs> yeah, this is for... The, uh, just for fun. Display purposes yeah, only. Yeah, this is for funsies. Yeah. So I, I will take a photo of this. I will put it in the show notes. If you click on that, it'll send you on over to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this medical model and other curiosities of the week, those that are still left. Also at Etsy, copies of my books. They're all in stock. Got a ton of restocks in, getting ready for Alba Twitch Day. They're all in stock. If you get them from Etsy, they come signed. Beyond the Seventh Gate, don't look behind you. Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, Bigfoot West Coast Wildman, Where the Footprints End, Volume 1 and 2, Apparitions, Illustrations of the Other, Elzik's Farewell, Am I Leaving Anything Out? The Witch Cloud. You can get them all at Etsy. If you get them there, they come signed. My artwork's there, originals and prints. 
Allison has a number of historical photographs up there, vintage and antique. There's a flower path section in which you can get flower path t-shirts when they're in stock. Still looking for that box of shirts, UPS. (laughs) They're lost. They're gone. I think they're going to have to be rescreened by the printer, which is not cool. I feel bad for them having to redo them. It's bad. Anyway, flower path t-shirts, paracord rosaries, single decade pocket rosaries and full rosaries are there. And much more. Our Etsy shop name is Lost Grave, one word, Lost Grave. But if you type in Strange Familiars, you'll see our stuff come up. I think that's it. Next appearance, I think, is going to be Alp Twitch Day. Don't think I'm doing anything else before then. If I am, I'll let everybody know. But I think Alp Twitch Day is going to be it. That's the second Saturday in October in Columbia, Pennsylvania. If you want to start getting ready, start making your travel plans. <laughs> it's worth it. Alp Twitch Day is great. It is, and Columbia's gotten, last year or so, it's really booming with cool stores and antique stores and stuff yeah i love columbia all right thanks for listening everybody we'll be back soon with more strange familiars looking for something to do after halloween is over are you into the strange bizarre and unusual On November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the Strange Realities Conference is coming back to Nashville, Tennessee and streaming online. Come join us for three days exploring mysteries, supernatural, the occult, weird history, and more. Featuring lectures, presentations, and workshops by Tim Banal, Zach Hunt, Melvin Vance, Bryn Collier, Tobias Whalen, Brent Raines, Joshua Cutchin, Kiki Dombrowski, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Christopher Ernst, Aaron Gullius, David Metcalf, Timothy Renner, Mallory Semwitzki, Soraya Azkap, and special guest Steve Berg as your Master of Ceremonies. Make sure to join us for the fun and informative weekend online and at SIR Nashville November 3rd and 4th and online only November 5th. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars. And we're on the web, at strangefamiliars.com.
Time.